Hello and welcome to Talking HE, my name is Santanu Vasant. In this episode we speak to Dr. Elena Forseco, Senior Teaching Fellow at the Graduate School, Imperial College, London, and George Ferrer, Digital Learning Producer at Central St. Martins, University of the Arts, London. We discuss a co-design approach to learning design to develop postgraduate students' research communication competencies. We hope you enjoy this episode. So I'm... Uh... Elena Forasacco and I'm now senior teaching fellow in the graduate school at Imperial and I lead the research communication program that is the subject of our chapter. I am uh, Georges Freire, I am a uh, senior learning designer, learning designer. Uh, I've been working in uh, education all my life as a teacher, then a librarian and a teacher, then a librarian and as an educational technologist, and then just as an educational technologist. And um, yeah, I'm uh, currently at University of the Arts London as a digital learning producer. Um, and previously I worked at Imperial as a senior learning designer. And the 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 the, the, so the the book chapter that Elena and I wrote kind of covers that two-year period of collaboration. So to begin with, I'm going to ask you how this project came about. The idea of uh, the book chapter was uh, kind of uh, an idea we had because we wanted to share uh, good practice uh, with other colleagues uh, who might be interested in uh, the examples uh, as well as uh, pros and cons of uh, the co-design approach. And uh, also because uh, our audience, uh, our students uh, are uh, not the let's say, the common type of students, because as graduate school, uh, we offer professional development courses for master and doctoral students. And uh, our group of uh, students are uh, non-homogeneous because they are at different level of their uh, careers, of their masters and doctorate. Uh, they have different scientific backgrounds, uh, and many students are overseas students. So uh, definitely when uh, we started to work together, uh, we needed to keep in mind uh, the type of students uh, we had, we have, because we meet them only once. We don't have uh, long uh, courses and modules. Mm -hmm. but courses are like one shot and, um, and we needed uh, to tailor uh, 
all our material to our type of students. And because it's a peculiar environment, we thought, yes, it's a good example to share with other colleagues. Absolutely. And um, uh, Santini, you'll know this, that Imperial is a, a, a sort of a, a, a group of very distinct uh, colleges, places uh, that, you know, the business school is, is huge and does its own thing, engineering the, their own thing. And then they kind of come together as, as Imperial College London, but they're quite diverse in it, mm. their needs, student populations, etc. So uh, that was um, a challenge and an opportunity because the graduate school needed to cater for a, you know, year three uh, doctorate student from the business school, as well as uh, uh, a one-year full-time master student from uh, medicine or something along those lines. And and these are, you know, even though under that umbrella, they're, they're quite a distinct group of people. And the, um, the, the book is from Learning in Higher Education, it's called Active Learning in Higher Education. And the process they put together for, for writing that was really interesting and Elena brought that opportunity uh, to us. Um, and then um, why the chapter, why co-design and why active learning? I think it's it, it was interesting for me to work in the graduate school because I didn't know in detail what the graduate school did. So that was a process for me to pick up. Um, there was a huge focus on a learner-centered approach there. Everything, you know, students give feedback on every session. There are student reps in every program. There's, there's, uh, uh, you know, students recommend courses are created. So they have a very strong voice. So that means that courses tend to be catered for their needs and preferences and motivations, but obviously with a sort of a, a strong research-informed, very pedagogical sound process behind it. And when I joined the graduate school as the, the sort of the senior learning designer, they already had a suite of self-paced distance learning courses. They had a few blended learning courses, truly blended courses. Um, they were sort of starting to experiment with technology-enhanced learning in face-to-face -face teaching. Uh, they had a suite of already, you know, th this was pre-pandemic, 12, 14 webinars that they had running over the year. And in that scale, that was quite unique at the time. Now, you know, obviously now everyone kind of runs online sessions, but at the time that was an interesting uh, uh, decision. And um, to give you a, a quick overview, you know, a lot of, of the teachers in the graduate school, the tutors are um, senior teaching fellows and they are, they are amazing teachers. I mean, not only are they amazing in their subject matter background, uh, you know, engineers, Elena is a sort of a, uh, was a researcher as well in, in, in STEM. Um, they are highly qualified and highly experienced uh, uh, tutors. They teach, they teach every day, they teach. That's their main focus. Uh, and um, so all of those things together, um, I think the, the conditions were there for a, a co-design approach and for the development of a truly active learning um, process. And then um, Elena's curiosity and approach and uh, uh, her, her approach to teaching kind of brought a lot of opportunities for true collaboration and some really interesting challenges for me as a learning designer because 
she's a mentor she's a coach she you know she kind of sits with a student for for an hour or two and goes over a f- almost finished thesis doctoral thesis and kind of helps students put that together and i i kind of shadowed her and followed her along and i said how am i how, how, am I, <laughs> how are we building an online course with an approach that is kind of so you know, so insightful and so that that, that kind of kicked up, started the process. That's really interesting to hear the background. You touched upon the co-design approach. Can you say a little bit more about that? Uh, before starting the co-design, from, uh, let's say, a teacher perspective, uh, we had to consider, again, the type of students because they are experienced learners. Many of them, they might have maybe 10 years of experience in the private sector. So uh, when preparing any type of teaching material, we need to add time for students. So give them time and opportunities to use their experiences and the competencies and knowledge during their learning. So a, let's say, directive learning style is not working because they wouldn't feel sort of in control of the learning. That is actually what they need. And also what we had to consider is that they are very busy with their research projects and many students are also medical doctors so they still work on shifts at the hospital and master students they still have courses to attend so we needed to create something let's say short and sweet Uh, So something meaningful that produces uh, independent and authentic learning and also that uh, lets them uh, something. So, for example, uh, during activities and during courses, they produce uh, files uh, that... uh, can be a version, a draft version of their uh, literature review. And uh, they peer discuss and peer assess it. And definitely it represents uh, a sort of uh, baseline for their uh, literature review when they have to write it. Absolutely. I think uh, Elena touched a long, a longer some very, very interesting points that could be challenges and opportunities as well. That was that the student profile is quite unique uh, if you go through the research, etc. And, and good practice and uh, doctoral students are kind of kind of fit outside the the core business of universities, which are like mostly undergrad and then mm. practices, processes, research, infrastructure, digital platforms, etc. kind of don't necessarily reflect their needs and preferences. So that was something, because I was new to to graduate education, I had to kind of pick up. And I I went around talking to colleagues from Edinburgh and King's, LSE, so other graduate schools to see what they were doing. Mm. And um, 
the process that we put together for co-designing is built a, around an approach to learning design called the concierge model, which is essentially uh, there are different roles and responsibilities in that, and the learning designer kind of does the the concierging, with, you know, taking people to the different rooms and bring, you know, I like that. I like putting that. the uh, you know, s yeah. supporting the, the imagine a building and we're going on a journey and, uh, mm. but. Um, Again, touching upon the culture of the graduate school, yeah. where there's this learner focus, the complexity of Imperial, which kind of, you know, you have to design one course for a population that is so diverse that you may have to kind of go out and find and talk to them, uh, you know, conditions, skills, preferences, motivations, all of that, building that profile. Um, mm. Is complex because you know it might be oh I'm you know I'm a 21 year old from China great I'll write that down and that's a profile and then oh actually I'm a 45 year old from Kent oh okay well, that's I'm interested in doing this I'm interested in doing that and then all of them come together mm. I have two hours to do a course and then you go I don't know these people <laughs> no idea um, so hence you start getting a picture of a culture that kind of wants to, to involve students in all its stages of decision making and policy and strategy and course preparation and delivery and evaluation the complexity of imperial um, but to address those challenges you have a wealth of resources so you think i don't know enough about medical education and elena said well I, you know there's dissertation supervisors we can talk to and i said okay that's not something you usually have access to. Oh, you know, that person is, you know, works at Apple and that person works over there and that person is an engineer and that person. And then there's a, the graduate school has a, a, a ethos and a need for collaborating with the library, Center for Academic English, the different departments. These are stakeholders. They input into courses. Sometimes there's overlapping areas of responsibility, like Elena does research communication, so around poster presentation, literature reviews, dissertations, communications. Center for Academic English touches upon the language aspect of that. The library touches upon the research aspect of, of yeah. that. So you have this, and, and there's obviously kind of a, a power dynamic in terms of roles and remits and responsibilities. And the only way we could build a process to reflect the needs of students uh, was to and to reflect the needs of all these people um, on top of that kind of concierge approach was to to co-design so um, we we brought these people as stakeholders into the process from all the stages we had so we had an analysis stage trying to find out who the learners were were their conditions their preferences their needs we wrote business cases uh, there was a qa process and then we went through designing and developing and testing and piloting etc and we built different roles for these people to come in so that they make meaningful contributions and not just do you prefer red or gold green um, so we had students uh, that that were did were co-researchers for example, into the research that went to the course. Co-creators, they shared their dissertations and then an analysis of what they would do differently, for example, or um, they tested the courses deeply. You know, they spent like a morning or, or 
from start to completion of the course, they went in and gave their feedback. Mm. And same with with other stakeholders, library. You know, we had people coming in, meetings, conversations. Uh, we had uh, dissertation supervisors coming in and uh, recording recommendations, analysis of dissertations. Uh, so they were co-creators of 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 content and. Um, so bringing in all those people um, is it is a challenge, obviously, but um, for a complex problem and for a kind of a, a I'm going to say democratic need of all of these people needing to be reflected and to have value from a course, um, we we brought them along and uh, we kind of shared the workload and the risk of developing a new course because it's mm. expensive and it needs to be successful and we just we brought these people along as um as 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 full kind of stakeholders on on the process mm. and traditionally you have a, a instructional designer and or a learning designer and a subject matter expert or a tutor and they kind of put the course together um yes and this is built on top of that where you have other people coming in uh, you know from different angles different experiences um mm. And uh, yeah, I mean, there are advantages and, and, and challenges that come with that that, I don't know, might be interesting to explore, but um, that, that was how we set up the process and why. Mm, that's really interesting to hear this uh, very complex project. How did you go about measuring your impact? My answer here is, is, is fairly quick. Elena might have kind of a lot more insight into that, but um, because we are going through a kind of a heavily scaffolded uh, process of analysis and designing and developing and testing um, business case putting together like curriculum writing as well because we 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 you know the tutor would write the curriculum sometimes with me and kind of um, it's not hard to build into those stages uh, success criteria and then build the evaluation from you know, you, you build a learner journey. So students do this, do that, do that, do this. Um, learning objectives and then an assessment uh, strategy. And then so you build uh, you build evaluation for, uh, you know, engagement, um, uh, achievement, uh, attrition, uh, satisfaction. And the graduate school already had processes to kind of to, to top and tail that process mm -hmm. and it's just building those to, you know into the stages so that you know what works what doesn't and um, ideally here unlike most places uh, I felt that you want to know you want to evaluate it you, you don't want to find that you were successful you you want insightful evaluation which is what doesn't happen very often. <laughs> you yeah. want to see where you failed and why. Yes. yes. Right? Yeah. Yes. Yeah. Always. The, that's the, 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 that's the yes. point. Yeah, you don't, exactly. you know, people are kind of so worried about the risk because it's so, you know, it, it falls on the, the shoulders of an academic or, or a learning designers. Mm. You, you want to find the success, but here we built it to find what worked and didn't work really kind of, uh, Insightfully, yeah, from my because, end. Yeah, failure teaches you a lot more than success ever will, as they say, doesn't it? Uh, yeah, it's, yeah. You want insightful data and feedback, mm. right? Mm. That, that's what you want, something actionable, something um, uh, mm. that, that 
kind of makes you go back and do it better. Uh, mm. Yeah. Yes. But Elena, I, mean, I remember that you uh, you kind of had, you know, Elena's program leader, so she had a, a lot more challenging um, impact needs in terms of capturing and evaluating. Yeah, when uh, we started the redesign uh, and our work together, our main concerns were about the creation of good activities and keep students engaged and motivated to complete activities and also try how to create a sort of online community because of the nature of our courses. And actually, um, when we analyzed the students' feedback, but also when uh, during courses, when uh, we observed the students working, we realized that actually we got it. We found the right way to interact with students and we created the good uh, courses and material. Because, uh, for example, uh, uh, students uh, appreciated a lot the idea of having synchronous and asynchronous activities that are uh, connected, because with the asynchronous part, uh, they have to complete before uh, the live session, they have time to reflect, uh, think and prepare uh, these activities. Mm. And then uh, during the live session, during the asynchronous uh, activities, they have time to share uh, their pre-course activities and discuss uh, and give and receive peer feedback. So um, they, students definitely realize the importance of having activities, let's say, split into two parts. And also, they, because they are at different levels of their PhDs, they realize that our activities are inclusive, so you can do activities if you started yesterday your PhD or if you're planning to submit your thesis tomorrow, as George said earlier mm. on. Mm. And as to keep students engaged, actually was uh, kind of connected to the type of activities. Uh, because activities will help them, uh, will help students to produce something they can use for their thesis or master dissertation. They are more than engaged and motivated uh, to complete any activity we propose them. And uh, what was uh, interesting as for uh, the online course uh, we prepared is that actually when we compared uh, the feedback of the normal in-person version with the feedback of uh, our new online course, we found 
amazing for us amazing um comments and uh, because like the hundred percent of students said uh, that the course and the material motivated them to think about the topic create new ideas and understanding and uh, they realized that uh, they have now a deep understanding on the topic, on how to prepare uh, their literature review. And uh, also, I think uh, from our perspective, uh, we could get uh, that high percentage and the good feedback uh, because of the type of uh, course uh, that actually George was able to prepare, so he was able to put in place uh, and uh, sort of uh, apply all my ideas using different tools, uh, different uh, multimedia, adding files, uh, creating scenarios, recording videos. So that mix of uh, um, strategies uh, help the students uh, to learn more and stay engaged because the course was not a monotonous course. You have a video, you have a quiz, a video and mm. a quiz. Mm. Yeah, yeah, that's, that's, that's really, yes, definitely the case. And the final point from, my pers from the student's perspective, um, we tried to create uh, online communities, uh, especially to support uh, final year students uh, who are writing their thesis. So they are uh, writing a thesis is a sort of lonely process, but um, thanks to activities we created for them, we were able to create trust uh, among a group of students uh, and uh, the groups uh, we created uh, and uh, who worked well on uh, these uh, ice-breaking activities and activities that create trust uh, are still working together remotely um, to write their own thesis. And we received uh, nice comments uh, from students. So thanks to their group work, uh, they don't feel isolated anymore. They receive uh, additional reliable advice from their colleagues. Uh, and uh, those groups are an additional opportunity to discuss uh, with their peers uh, about the issues, the solutions, the suggestions about anything. So, yeah, we achieved somehow also mm -hmm. yeah. this success. I think from the student side, we definitely covered every kind of potential. So we had, you know, analytics uh, for engagement, uh, you know, feedback, etc. And because we follow that co-design approach, um, 
stakeholders into the process uh, even before we went into development had visibility and opportunities to comment and formal stages of um, which was a change in culture a bit because you know you'd have a meeting with the head of the graduate school and you know the program director if they're not the tutor and you know the library and then we would go through you know these are the learning outcomes what do you think these are the this we had the first part of the course was to generate, for example, a course description and then a course structure index and then kind of an ethos. To, to, and mm. people were going, yeah, that's on paper, isn't it? I mean, that's a what's, what's that? And then we said, you know, spend a day or two looking at it and then see if we're on the right track. See if that kind of covers everything. See what you would add. And people would give some insightful feedback. So every stage had uh, an evaluation built into it. Um, and we know where we were going. But then in reality, when we put that in place, um, uh, we we had stages of, like we did an alpha pilot for courses, and then we did alpha test, uh, a pilot for like the first 30 students to complete a course, for example, um, mm -hmm. they would give us feedback. Mm -hmm. And uh, each, Every time we run something, we sit down and look at it and see, is it meeting what it should meet in terms of attainment, satisfaction, engagement, and look at in kind of, you know, almost granular, like, you know, we have a collaborative activity broken into three stages. You know, are they, are they, where are they doing it? Um, yeah. And then like Elena said that, um, you would see the course ending and the kind of the communities sticking together. Um, you'd see the kind of students building their own projects and we can kind of follow that up. So it wasn't like run it, go away and then um, mm. look at feedback. Yeah. Yeah. And finally, what suggestions would you make to people considering a similar approach? I would start with the cost of it. There's a cost it might, might sound like a dirty word. It's not. There's a cost to it. Uh, there's a cost in trust. So Elena and I, you know, not a lot. There are not a lot of Elenas in the world. <laughs> From a learning design perspective, that you know, there's not a lot. But we build, we, we work in scale. So we might be working with people that uh, you don't know that well, or that you can. Building that trust is mm. key. So how mm. do you build that trust? Uh, you know, we in in the chapter we have some kind of recommendations on doing, building that trust. So, you know, I, I went into Elena's classroom teaching, shadowed her for a bit, sat in her mentorship. She invited me. Um, for me, it was quite, you know, good to, to be, to, to work with someone so open because I would ask for one thing, but I wouldn't ask for five. And she kind of brought me along to five. And then there was a lot of time for meeting and having conversations around, you know, sharing example, sharing, we both like reading research. So we would share stuff to kind of, it's almost like starting a relationship. You, you, you're seeing who the other person is and you need to do that to, before the process even starts. Um, from, from my end, I'm continuously, as, as a learning designer or ed tech person, you're always trying to persuade someone that it's positive to engage. And there are many different ways of doing that, but a way that I found of doing that, that worked there was uh, put a process that kind of shows the beginning, the middle, the end, the roles, the responsibilities, and the workload. So we're going to go through the design process. It's starting on day X and ending on day Y, and it's X hours of your week 
and we're generating this. And I th that's rare in higher education to kind of go, mm. I'm very mindful of your workflow. There are no hidden costs. Uh, and the outcome is this, and this is what we will get out. Um, and just do that with all the stakeholders. Give them a sort of an overview of a process, and then that's something that uh, I think for people that are quite insightful, critical, you know, demanding, you know, working with academics, that they see, mm -hmm. yeah, okay, that's those are sound arguments. So that, mm -hmm. um, so. So that's it. I mean, and then because we're mindful of time and where we're going, uh, the other aspect of it is the risk. Um, so do I, you know, try to do everything I could to share and minimize the risk. So build opportunities to iterate and learn as part yeah. of the process and kind of sell that idea high up that we're failing. We need to fail. It's, you know, it's, and you know, for people like engineers, that's an easy argument to make. Okay, you know, we're failing in the workshop to so, so that our car doesn't burn out. <laughs> we're on the road. So, kind of building that idea that it's it's mm. it's a learning process and it's iterations, and we're getting better at things. And uh, um, so, and there's a support mechanism for us to. Do it again and again and again and again. So uh, I think from, from from my angle, that was it. Yeah. And uh, from uh, my perspective, uh, so more sort of philosophical uh, things are uh, not to be afraid of uh, sharing expertise, feedback, doubts, have that open dialogue. Because, uh, I mean, when we started to work together, uh, we, I, I wanted to find the sort of uh, complementary expertise. So mm. I was not afraid of, oh, George will steal my work. It was more, uh, he will, uh, we will work together to create something better together. Mm. And the other general suggestions are uh, be flexible, keep an open mind, uh, and don't be afraid of uh, trying approaches, approaches and activities. And as you said, if we fail, uh, we can uh, change things and try something different and see how it works. And uh, along with uh, creating trust between uh, the two of us, uh, to create uh, good courses, we need also to create uh, connection and trust uh, with the students. Um, so find a way to started to interact with students before uh, actually having students at our courses mm. is essential. Students start to know us uh, and uh, they get familiar with us, with our style and uh, they work better. Yeah, I think it, obviously we 
we're very positive about a co-design process. Um, if I had to step back and be, uh, you know, not deny the the challenge, uh, being colder about it, I would say that people to to solve these complex needs, you need um, a variety of people, and they need to make meaningful contributions. Mm. So therefore, they need power and a process that respects what they can contribute because we're not asking students to do something that they can't they're students right i mean we're not saying yeah. how about the constructive alignment and you know the, this exam question does it reflect the we're not over there yes no but uh, and also we you know we we're bringing in different stakeholders to, to part of the process and we, time is not unlimited so it's around that. It's it's around being very very pragmatic. It's more expensive in terms of cost and trust in building all that, but mm. the the returns are there because you you're not kind of building a course and launching it, and then from a perspective that it's a product for a consumer, you're co-creating something with for a group of people that need it and that were part of the process so the risk is also for them there you know if, if they're representing students and if they're contributing they accept a bit of the risk of mm. putting in some meaningful work and then yeah. um, um the final risk is ours obviously and lena in mine it would be because we're mm. kind of we're putting the process together but you're sharing the work you're sharing the risk you're sharing the expertise you you uh you're sharing the headaches of you know the, the complexity of having all these people with voices that are not always matching but in the end you you get a product that is uh, a course that is hopefully um fit for for the people that that need it and represents their needs mm. from tiny decisions to large ones it, it kind of uh, hits those targets thanks to elena and george for their time elena and george's chapter using co-designed technology-enhanced learning to develop postgraduate STEM students' research communication competencies features in the Institute for Learning in Higher Education publication Active Learning out soon. Coming up next time on Talking HE, we speak to Dr. Brooke Carlson, an instructor at Colorado Mesa University in America. A preview coming up. Hi, my name is Brooke Carlson. I teach at Colorado Mesa University. Uh, I teach in the Languages, Literature, and Mass Communication Department. And largely what I teach is rhetoric and composition, and then the literature and Shakespeare. We use a, a, a learning, an LMS, a learning management system, and the one we use here happens to be D2L. But the first thing I've done uh, in this past year is I've dropped all those bells and whistles with the dates and the penalties and the observe and punish. You know, mm -hmm. the bells and whistles that go off yeah. when you when you put dates and times and and all of that stuff results in stuff that for me I think makes students really struggle emotionally at a time when we're looking at I think probably the highest emotional struggle in the college population. I saw I saw a great tweet by Tim Fonz um, and and he teaches over at uh, in the UK at the University of Edinburgh, mm -hmm. uh, so he's in Scotland. Um, but but he had a, a really interesting treat, uh, tweet on asynchronic pe pedagogy. And so I think first and foremost, um, that asynchronic, that combination of asynchronic and synchronic, um, which, I mean, it's, it's funny, I guess, you know, since the real emergence of the internet around 2000, that we now have these two worlds in which we live at the same time. Um, 
that that's a it, it still kind of blows my mind just when I think about it. But uh, but for pedagogy, uh, I think it provides really fantastic space for learning because we have space wherein uh, students can do work on their own time and there's a record of it and we can engage across time in ways that I just think are fantastic, especially for um, for textual and for for thinking experiences, which is a large part of what I teach in both rhetoric and composition and also in terms of literature. Mm. And so so that's a that's a beautiful space. And so I, I see that as certainly a continued space for me to work in. All that and more in the next episode of Talking HE. Until then, thanks for listening. Got a comment, feedback or suggestions? Please tweet us at TalkingHEPod or email Santanu at SantanuVasant.com. Until then, I've been Santanu Vasant and this has been Talking HE.